Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? A comics and pop culture podcast coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress. That is WaitWhatPodcast.com. October is well on its spooky way, and Graham McMillan and I are here to help it out with some early treats, plus or minus a trick or two. Join us for a two-hour-plus episode as we discuss The Return of Saga, Watakoi, Love is Hard for Otaku, How Long a Reader Can Keep Their Emotions Tied to a Narrative on Hiatus, Hectic Planet by Evan Dorkin, The Eternals by Karen Gillan and Isad Rebak, The Outsiders in both the 80s and 90s, another installment of My 4 Manga, and much, much more. As always, we welcome your comments at waitwhatpodcast.com, your questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com, and we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, Instagram, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy, and thank you for listening. Jeff Lasser! Graham McMillan! Hello! Hello! Hello, Hello Jeff. Yes. Hi. Hi, Jeff. What not? What you don't know is, for like half an hour, Jeff and I have been basically tech troubleshooting and showing how inept both of us are with technology. You know, you know what I think is frustrating, Graham, is there's a tiered level of ineptitude when it comes to tech. You know what I mean? I'm not at the lowest level of ineptitude. I'm really not. I mean, I spent most of this no, week not, no, like, not at all. running around and installing things at work and showing people how to do things they'd forgotten and actually sending out an, an email that the head of IT told me that I shouldn't have sent out, that he should have sent it out. But of course, he didn't send it out and people were getting you know screwed up and I got... 19 people thanking me for emailing. I'm relatively okay with some of this stuff, but there's a certain je ne sais connect the printer to a lot of Mac programs that is just a huge pain in the ass. Like, it really clearly prides itself on being at sysadmin levels of obscurity. It's not even necessarily like this stuff is hard. It's just, it, it just goes to great lengths to not to not tell you how to do what you need to do. And then when you start going into it, they're like, oh, yeah, it's absolutely the easiest thing in the world. First thing you do is go into, you know, boot your terminal shell and, uh, you know, insert the following Linux string. And it's like, let me tell you, when I swap between my old Mac and my new Mac, I was like, there's got to be an easy way of basically just saying, just pour all the information over. Right. But don't pour all the data over. <laughs> right, I don't want to keep all my cache or everything. I just want, you know, basically the files and the applications. That's right. it. And the most recent version of the files. That's it. I don't need all the time machine data. Don't need any of that. Right. And I made the mistake of actually asking the, well, not asking the internet, but Googling it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and being like, okay, I'm, I'm sure there is a way of doing this. And of course, it being the internet, the internet wanted to tell me that there right. are experts in, in how to do this. Yeah. And every single one of the explanations was so insanely arcane. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was like, the first thing you want to do is get into the startup disk of both machines. And then you want to, like, give them a plant between the two of them, but make sure it's a plant that needs some water. Then you want to put on some Barry White in the background, totally. but only make sure it's after six o'clock. And you're like... <laughs> Can I? Can I? Is there no easier way of doing this? And it's like no. And then someone else would be like Barry White. Fuck that shit. Stevie Wonder songs in the key of life. I think you know what I mean. And it's just 
I got to say, Graham, this this makes it sound better than it is, because the fact of the matter is, in my experience, it's like a bunch of dudes who all they read were like slave masters of gore novels, because it's (laughs) like, yo, you have to set drive one is the slave, drive two is the master, but make sure that your master has a slave exception, because you need to slave your master into a master slave. It's like... Fuck you guys, really? Oh, it's the easiest thing, though, in order to be yeah. able to... No, no it was... It's like, uh. I, I, saw, I saw a fair share of that. Mm-hmm. But I also... I genuinely did see a, a fair share of things that are like, you know... Well, if you get both of them before they properly set up, but then you put in, like, this piece of code... And I'm like, I... I mean, for a better way of putting it, I have a Mac because I don't know how to do that. Right. Do you know what I mean? Like, I have a Mac because I am an idiot. Right. And I want to press a button... And then type in a password and then just go. So the idea that I'm going to get into a startup disk and then I'm going to insert code into both machines and then they're going to do something? No. Yeah. That's yeah. that's literally not inside my skill set. Yeah. Well, and, and so the thing that I think is kind of interesting is for a long time, the Mac had a marketplace where, like, dudes who love doing that kind of thing would build – some sort of program with kind of atrocious UI that nonetheless worked that would do it all for you, that would have everything automated and was called, you know, Peakeeper 27 or something like that. And you would buy Peakeeper for like six bucks and it would at least do all this stuff for you. But I swear to God, the whole M1 Mac thing in particular, there's a whole level of people who are just like, no, can't be bothered. Not going to do it. Peakeeper is only going to run on Intel-based machines. And I'm like, really? And I know at some point somebody will come around and do it. Maybe? I mean, because of the fact of the matter is Apple, you know, what Apple used to be 15, 20, 25 years ago was the, you know, the nerd machine that the tech guys could you know, op- again, open up their terminal and totally run Unix on it. And, or, you know, the whole Mac operating system was built off a of Unix shell, so it was easy as pie for them to understand. But meanwhile, the UI was polished enough that slobs like you and me could get things done. But there's always that weird extra level, I guess, because it's appealing to both, where it's like, Nothing makes me break out in hives faster than when I've done something to my computer and they're like, okay, open up the Mac system utilities. And I'm like, oh, that's when I know I'm in for a horrible afternoon, you know? Yeah, yeah. It's just, here's a bunch of tools that we have purposely made a point not to update any aspect of in like 29 years. And it's going to be very simple to anyone who knows what they're doing and it's going to be impossible for you who do not but you got to do it because sometimes because if you don't your machine won't work yeah right like oh ah i feel like somehow this is like yes graham and i blame the return of saga but i don't (gasps) i don't i was going to say uh i i of course so we're recording this on the day when images announced the saga is coming back in january 2022 and I made a tweet uh, that was basically like, Saga's coming back in January. Is it too late? And I was half joking. Mm-hmm. 
but also half not because it will have been away for like four years, right? It's great. I just saw someone subtweet you before I jumped back online. Well, no, that, that's just it. Oh my god, I basically made that thing like not seriously, shall we say? <laughs> and the responses. Oh my god, apparently Saga has very devoted fans. Also, apparently Saga has very devoted fans because someone responded entirely seriously going, I reread Saga every few months in its entirety. So of course I'm ready. And I want it to be like, how much do you have to love a 54-issue series to reread it in its entirety every few months? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, that's amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I still honestly think that it's going to be a success, but it's not going to be anywhere near the level of success it was before. I love the idea that you are – that you're sort of like, I, I can't believe it. I did this thing that wasn't serious, a.k.a. shitposting, and, and people no, got wild up. No, but, but like for real, I wasn't even like intentionally shitposting. Well, I, okay. I was literally in the middle of a conversation with Chloe and I saw that. And I went, oh, that's a thing. I then like did it with no thought. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what? Honestly, like, I, I wasn't even trying to piss people off is my point. I literally was like, huh, that like this is an open question. And I moved right. on. And then I come back and check and it's like you have 52 people shouting at you. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, you know what? I will take the bait because I that was the that was my first thought as well. This is this is a kind of a long gap i mean on the one hand yeah it's a long gap and and we'll i'll be curious to see like you said the idea that it is quote-unquote successful but not as successful makes a lot of sense to me but but i think who knows you know what i mean like there's part of me that's like or or people just aren't going to come back you yeah, know? I, I'm. I mean, I'm very. I genuinely am very curious about what the reception's going to be because mm-hmm. we've seen series that have just outright ended mm-hmm. and then been resurrected, right? Mm-hmm. And we've seen series that have gone on hiatus and never come back. And mm-hmm. Saga is in this weird space between the two, right? Mm-hmm. But for all intents and purposes, it ended. It didn't come to a conclusion, but the series went away for four years. Yeah, it's a hugely long time. You know, it's there are huge. comics that have actually ended and then gone through revivals in less time. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. You know, so it, it, the idea that this is just a hiatus feels somewhat disingenuous to me. Don't get me wrong, I'm sure they both, uh, Brian Kivon and, and Fiona Sables, always intended to come back. Like, yes. The idea that four years is a just a hiatus though it's absolutely nuts to me definitely but i mean you know? what can you call it at that point because i mean in theory you came back so can't you really just say any as long as you come back it i mean i guess i guess if you come back then you can claim it's a hiatus i don't know i just feel hiatus has to be less than you know almost five years no <laughs> maybe, I mean, I'm right. maybe i'm yeah. wrong yeah, yeah yeah no i agree I agree. I think that considering Saga probably was only published for, what, six years, seven years before it went on hiatus? It was published for for, um, five and a half, I think. 
Okay. So, yeah, I mean, that's when you're gone almost as long as you were there. As long as you're around. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that, that is, that's nothing to sneeze at. And I, and I also do think that, um, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, it, it, what may happen is that Saga will return and end up building, like, the audience will be just as big before, but it, it won't be the audience that was reading Saga before, you know? It yeah, might... well, uh, but I would say a lot of the audience is gone. Yeah, I think so, too. Yeah. But, I mean, I could be wrong, but, but yeah. I, I'm just, I'm very curious. I'm also, like, clearly Saga is not going to fail when it returns, mm-hmm. right? As much as anything else, the amount of response I got to, to my tweet proves that. Right. You know I mean, like, people still have a lot of feelings about Saga. Mm-hmm. And honestly, the majority of people responding are people who are like, oh, you, fuck you, I love Saga. Sa- like, I've been thinking of Saga every day since Saga finished. Yeah, yeah, sure. Of course, there's always going to be those people. But, like, like yeah. sample like a weird comparison contrast i'm sure i don't know if you actually bothered to to quote unquote watch it but i know since you have hbo max you're aware that they have released their first trailer for the game of thrones prequel i i did in fact watch it even though i have only seen one oh sorry two episodes of game of thrones because i saw the last one i've seen the first one and the last one that's it oh my god graham that's ridiculous <laughs> That, why did you do that? That just seems like a party trick. Because I, I saw the first one, and I didn't like it. Right. Yeah, right. it's not... And, and I saw the last one because Chloe was watching the last one, and I was just around. I see. And it, now Chloe's watched them all, or... No, because she... she also dropped off. She dropped off somewhere through this, the show, and basically came back for the last episode. Wow. Okay. Well, I gotta tell you, that, that last episode... She, she was a big fan for... I mean, I'm going to say this, and she would probably listen and go, how dare you? I think it's three seasons. I think the first three seasons she really liked. Yeah, makes sense. I mean, they're, the first three seasons are great. I, I, I actually I thought the other day, season. when they started talking about the ice zombies, I was done. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I was down with all of it. I was down with all of it. The quality really dropped off. Like, they, they made some really bad choices which sort of makes sense because they just you know they they fucked a lot of things up they really had the best of both worlds for those first three or four seasons because they had you know martin had really hammered out a lot of great plotting and plot twists and world development and it was really easy for them to run with that and then kind of embellish as they needed to embellish but you know it's how do i put it it's sort of when it ended, it was so it's it just it just didn't land. And it's interesting when you've got shows like that. I I would say that yeah, Game of Thrones, Lost, to me, Battlestar Galactica. Like if they if you don't if you if you don't land the ending enough, it's re a it's really hard for me to revisit. And B, I'm just like. Yeah, that, that universe is kind of dead to me now. Like honestly, it's this the the weird the Matrix um regeneration or whatever it's called. Resurrection, Re- I think. Resurrection, yeah, rebooteration or whatever. You know, we're watching the trailer to that just feels uh weird. Like it 
it I I'm almost a little more down with it because it seems to play with some ideas about the matrix. It sort of makes sense that it's set up that, you know, you could have hypothesized about, except for me, it's like after those last two movies, I'm like, I don't care. So there's kind of exactly, exactly. It's like, it's like, I'm glad you're, you're rebooting with the remake of the first film. However. Yeah. However, I don't, I don't, I just, I kind of don't care. Like, I feel that there is, um, a, a, a tension, if you will, you know, a long form narrative work builds on tension and there's sort of a tension and release of smaller stuff that builds to bigger stuff that has the blah, blah, blah stuff. It seems very silly for me, I think, as me, a person who, you know, has read nine bajillion issues of Batman you know, being like, yeah, no one's going to want to read, you know, Saga because, you know, they had to resolve that story in their heads because the people making the thing went away for five years. But, I mean, you know, like, apart from your mystery person, you know, Karen B. Vogan, uh, saying that they reread Saga every, you know, three months or whatever, I think most of us, like, read it and then we were done with it and then you know that's it like it's not like there's nothing that's coming and so there's just no way that you're like i don't i don't i don't care that daredevil the target number two is out i don't i'm not gonna read it like i don't, I don't <laughs> you know like but I issue one was so great i honestly don't even remember what daredevil the target was uh, I mean, it was that one issue Kevin Smith thing where I think he was he was setting up some sort of like, oh, it's it's Daredevil versus Bullseye. And I don't remember if it was playing off of because, of course, Bullseye killed off Karen Page in, in Kevin Smith's run. So I think that it was like, oh, this is going to be like some heavy personal shit. And I don't even remember if it was like something where Daredevil had to protect Bullseye. I don't remember. It was like one issue in, but it was literally like it's really it's it's interesting to me seeing um, the people that like, you know, Kevin Smith was just like, that's it. I've just I, you know, like eight years later, he was like, yeah, I, I just looked at the work that other people were doing. And I felt really embarrassed about what I was doing. and I thought it was dumb. And I'm like. Like, I almost respect that in a way. You know what I mean? Because, I, I mean, respect. I'm kind of like, oh, okay. Like, I kind of get it. Like, as for me, a person who is so intimidated by my own lofty ideals for myself, I do nothing. I find my, I find it very easy to identify with that idea of like, yeah, you know, I felt really dumb. And then, but I also find myself thinking like, yeah, but you did the first issue. You should, you should do the rest. Like. Like, there's that weird period where Kurt Busiek was like, and he's also in the news since he's bringing back his Busiek verse to image. Um, you know, there was that weird period where he was like, yeah, I've got mercury poisoning, so I'm not smart enough to write my creator-owned books, but I can write my Marvel books, which was weird. You know what I mean? Like, there's just weird creator stuff. I kind of love that because I almost felt like he was like, I give less of a shit about the the Marvel books or the. Well, maybe it was DC. Was that when you were writing Spider uh, Superman? I mean, that was it. He was writing works for the big two. 
during those periods where there was a super long Astro City hiatus and some of his other stuff was super on hold. And then he was like, yep, can't do it. Mercury poisoning. They're like, but you're still writing three titles for Marvel and DC. He's like, ah, it's different. And I kind of get it. Like a part of it was like, he's, you know, less of a shit. It could just be like, I've been writing these for 20 years. They're a formula. Like, you know, like everyone has pounded out those characters. I don't have to think anyone up in my head, you know, I cut. And like you said, I kind of respect it, but I also was kind of like, that kind of sucks as an answer, but you know, whatever, what, whatever. I, I, I feel like I suddenly moved into the realm of the, of the super judgy. Um, and I think really just my point is that I think, I think it's a super valid question. It's one thing if it's been four years or five years, there, there are some manga creators who went on hiatus that I, I don't think have ever come back to their series. And I don't, just can't imagine if someone was like yeah hey i'm coming back to nana and i'm finishing up nana that that everyone would be like oh that's great i'm so excited that your story of two women in a grunge rock band will be continuing now in 2021 you know yeah right (laughs) it's going to speak to me you know i just i just think those things are hard so a Yes, Game of Thrones prequel. I was like, man, they're just flushing money down the toilet. Like, maybe I'm wrong, but even looking at the people, because I think Matt Smith is in it too. Where I'm Matt just like, Matt Smith's oh. in it, yeah. And I was kind of like, this just. And I really, really liked Matt Smith as Doctor Who. Like, I genuinely did. Yeah. But there was something about his involvement there where I was like, I feel this is, this is a Mad Lib. <laughs> ah! You know what I mean? Right, like Game of Thrones prequel featuring Matt Smith. Sure, why not? Well, I, I mean, I could sort of see it, sort of. I, I can. I totally. I'm like, yeah, sure. But at the same time, I was just like, oh man, that's. I, apart from the fact that there's a variety of of. I don't. I don't know where to start with it. Anyway, yes, flushing lots of money down the toilet. It'll be very curious to see if George R. R. Martin like ever comes out with another Game of Thrones book. Like, I mean, he keeps threatening to, but but like part of me is like I'm and there are people who are actually genuinely holding out hope for that. That, that and mm-hmm. but you know, and I think it's one thing when people are trained to have a book series where they're like every three years or four years there's like a new installment like i remember when scott pilgrim was coming out you know Mm -hmm. it was like a year between volumes and then i think wasn't it 18 months or something like that between the penultimate and the final volume maybe a little long i honestly don't remember yeah but all i know it was like the last issue of watchmen where it was late but you didn't care yeah, and I really didn't. I really didn't. Part of no, me I'm was just saying that because that's always the when comics are late, that's always the thing that people say. Right, right. Yeah, I guess that's true. Um, no, but it's it's just I don't know. I, the other thing that I think will be really interesting is I wonder if Vaughn and Staples have changed as creators. Mm-hmm. And so when they come back, it won't be the same comic. I, I mean. Right. Like it, it, it would be. I, I honestly cannot think of anything I've seen Fiona Staples do in the last four years. Well, uh, yeah, I think she. I. I, I think she, she actually literally stepped away, right? 
Right. I think the 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 rumors were that that the that the hiatus was for her because she needed it um, and really really wanted it. And I think yeah, it just probably has been recharging. One would assume over the last couple of years. I I don't really know. I mean, I'm like. And I guess we've still continued to see stuff from Vaughn because, of course, Paper Girls, at the very least, continued. Uh, yeah, well, also, and he had his Panel Syndicate stuff as well, right? Oh, yeah, that's true, too. Yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, it's not it's not like you saw a huge jump up in his output during that. Time. Yeah, it's not, it's not like all of a sudden he was the new writer of Batman, you know? Right, right exactly. So, yeah, I mean... I maybe I would think so. I'd be curious to see how they. It would be funny if it's a totally different series. <laughs> you know, I don't honestly. Right. I would kind of be great if it came back and both of them had rethought their approach to the series as a whole, mm-hmm. and it read like a different book. I think that's uh, very not what the fans want. Right. But I think it would be great. Well, you know, I it it's funny because I feel like um I feel like the Hernandez brothers are so instructive in this way because they've had periods where Love and Rockets you know, they stopped publishing it so that they could do separate comics because their productivity ranges were so different, you know, and then they decided to come back to it. And I feel like each successive iteration of Love and Rockets, every time it went away and came back, uh, for the most part, I really do think they changed and grew as creators. But yes. I think the weird – I also did find myself kind of floating away from it, you know? Like I I feel like – what was it? The, the last big Jaime storyline that everyone loved, which was – Love Trump- Bunglers? Love Bunglers, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I haven't really read anything post-Love Bunglers, you know, from Jaime and or work from Gilbert, you know, from when he was doing it and uh, serializing his work, you know, his Fritz stuff. I, I, I might be wrong. I think there's only been like one or two issues since Love Bunglers. Really? I thought there was more, but maybe not. Maybe maybe they're only doing the issues annually again. Is they're they're like... really rare, I think. Hang on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, see, this is this is when I get really sad. The Comicsology's website is going away. Yeah. Right. It's true. Right. Because because you can look up and see the publication schedules of comics. Mm-hmm. And but otherwise, you're just like, ah, uh, well, I guess I won't know. Um, let's see. Oh no, I guess I guess what Bugmore finished a while ago. Yeah, right. Surprisingly it's, long. The most recent issue came out in April this year. Mhm. And the issue before that came out in November the year before. So every six months. Yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. I and and I love those guys' work. I still think about, you know, each fragments of each of their works like on a weekly bi-weekly basis you know and um I, i'd be lying if i was saying it every day and i'm certainly not saga person but you know but the work meant, meant has meant a ton to me but at a certain point i'm also just kind of um 
I don't know. I don't know what the term is. Like the only term that comes to mind is neutral or neutered or something. You know what I mean? Like, um, which is fine because, of course, they've got plenty of other fans who read it and love it and come up, and there's a new generation of it. You know, like mm-hmm. I don't know. It's um, <laughs> there's right. a oh, okay. Real question: Are you are you going to read the new saga? I mean, I dropped off on the old saga. That's the thing. I think I made it 30 issues in, maybe 35 or something, like around the time that their marriage was on the rocks, um, uh, which had some really interesting stuff going on with it and, and seemed seemed really interesting. But I also just sort of tuned out at some point. Yeah, yeah, that's weird. Like, I tuned out as well. Is it the problem that we're just not big enough Saga fans? I mean, I th- think I that mean, the problem. The yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right, Graham. That is, it is a problem. It's a problem that we're not Saga fans. Yeah, no, I I mean, I guess, I guess so. I mean, maybe that's it. Maybe because we're not such big fans, like, we're like, ah, Saga is coming back. Does it really matter? Like, but... I don't know. I just, I don't know. I just, it's weirdly enough. I think that I'm one of those people that it's like, if you sort of feed me the steady stream of stuff, or maybe it's just that if I have my expectations, you know, because manga is, uh, oh man. Uh, speaking of this sort of thing, Watakoi, uh, Watakoi, uh, love is for a hard for a Taku volume five came out. And it's been, I don't know, something like 12 months, 18 months since the last volume. It's got to be longer than that. Like, it's because the American versions publish two volumes um, in one for Mm -hmm. whatever reason. So the series actually, I think, is already wrapped in Japan with volume 11. Um, And this finally came out which is up to volume 10 but it means that you know for whatever reason we had to wait like a we could have had it parceled out like every nine months or a year but instead super long wait and on the one hand i'm like okay that's fine that's great i really want to read this and then it came out and i read it and i devoured it all in a day but i found myself while reading it being like huh am i not into this anymore which is really you know like i love these first the first eight volumes which were collected in four american editions so they were like 300 plus pages a pop loved them had reread each of them each volume at least two two maybe three times Mm -hmm. and so i really tore into this volume there were things that i thought were great but i also kind of had that thing of like huh yeah what changed like is it is it just not me like you know do you i don't know maybe i would like to think this happens to everyone but if you ever looked at a photo that you hadn't seen in a long time and you realize that your memory of the photo is different because things are different the details are different from what you they were um i sometimes feel like like 
there's no reason why art shouldn't be like that. Like you have this relationship with the characters, the themes, whatever it is that resonates with you. And it's only natural for you to change over time and you come back to it and you're kind of like, huh, huh, Peter Parker's kind of a shit, you know, or whatever it happens <laughs> to be, you know? And, and so I, I don't know. It was, um, it was interesting with, with, with what to be like, Oh my God, this is great. I read right through it, like right through. And I was like, well, I, man, was it always this heavy on the fan service? You know, and boy, did they really always have to explain the psychological underpinnings and the cute little one line joke at the bottom of each page? Like it's, I just, I ultimately had to stop reading some parts of the strip in order to sort of enjoy it the way that I remembered enjoying it. Mm -hmm. Um, so and you've never had that experience with the old ones you've reread. Uh you know, I haven't I haven't. And I think I think there's two things for it. One is as each volume came out, was collected again in the two for volume for the US, like it was a manga that started literally being serialized on I think it's called Pixiv, P I X I V, basically an online manga site kind of like webtoons or something like that but done in and you know not done in a static for phone kind of way and it was a huge hit got managed to pick up a print collection or maybe it was serialized i don't remember which but it really grew from being kind of a fan comic um and just sort of got bigger and bigger and bigger it sold lots of copies then it had an anime then the anime was really successful. Then it sold more copies. And I, I give I give the creator credit. There was, I think, an arc to the storyline. There's always been sort of an arc to the storyline, and they they are wrapping it up more or less on time. But but I think what has happened is this weird mix of as the series has continued to grow bigger and bigger, either the creator feels more compelled to do fan service and or spell things out like they're kind of or, or their fans expect it, but it or, or they're just into it. They just love the idea that they that they can make this bigger. I forgot there was a live action TV series at some point in there too and maybe it's now film i forget but it's ba it's basically done the success lap that mon japanese manga can do you know a manga anime live action tv show and then i think maybe a movie i could be wrong on that but you know and i think so i think that there's a little bit of the hmm it's it's just kind of got a little bit of Friends season eight syndrome to it, you know, <laughs> for, for lack of a better term. So, oh God, I feel that I feel that's an especially cursed term at this point. <laughs> Do you know what I mean like I, I feel like just invoking Friends energy? Yes, enough. But Friends season eight is yeah. yeah. Oof. <laughs> well, because I think for myself, unfortunately, I'm one of those people that that has very fond memories of like 
seasons two through six of Friends, you know, and then after that, it was like season eight was where I had to just stop watching. And then when people were like, no, you got to come back because it's good. I'm like, no, it's it's done, man. It's dead. Oh, I see. I'm now super curious. What happened to Friends season eight that made it so bad? Um, I, You know, I would have to go back. I'd have to go. Uh, back. Come on, Wikipedia. Tell me. It may not. Oh, man, Bram, you're going to get me in trouble. I'm like Collider, Collider wrote that it was the show's best season. See, there we go. So okay. I'm probably wrong. Maybe uh, season seven that, that made me quit. I don't know. Elliot Gould was in it, and that just reminded me that Elliot Gould was in Friends a lot. He was because he was one uh, of the. Yeah, he was. He was the. He was uh, Ross and Ross and, and Rachel's. So no, Ross and Monica. Because uh, Rachel. Oh, right, right, right. Ross and Rachel are not brother and Some sister. Some fun you were. I, I had that mistake of <laughs> Star Wars. Sorry about that, everyone. My mistake. Um, dude. So, so how long did you watch Friends for? This sounds like one uh, of those. I honestly I don't know. That's and that's not me. Like. You know, fudging it. I don't know. I remember I really liked it when it started, and then I didn't. And I couldn't tell you when I dropped off. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I, re- I remember, like, genuinely being into it for the at least the first couple of seasons. Yeah. You know, it w- it was around the time of all the Super Bowl, Super Bowl guest star episodes, you know? Yeah, like- I, yeah I think I was gone by them. Mm. Oh, okay. And I think that was the one that pushed me over the edge was there was some point where it's like, oh, Bruce Willis is on his Monica's hunky chiropractor or whatever. And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I don't know. I mean, I'm guessing I'm going to say I made it three or four seasons. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But but the, the other part of that is, I mean, when did Friends start? Come on, friends. Tell me when what your friends started. Ninety-three? Ninety-four. No? Mm. It started in uh come on, Wikipedia. Ninety-four. Right? The other thing that's weird about this is uh around about ninety seven question mark? Mm-hmm. Like I'm leaving art school and I'm I'm you know I I, I I was going to say I became a vagrant, which is much more melodramatic than it sounds. But, um, but for real, like, I went through a period of, like, sleeping on people's couches and, like, you know, going wherever I could find work. And so not really having, like, a regular place where I stayed for a while. Ooh. And for one or a better way of putting it, like, all my TV shows just, like, like I stopped watching everything around then. Yeah, it makes sense. It's like getting rid of your TV. It's you know, like, so, it's, so it's not like, you know, I, I friends and I had a big falling out. It's just that, like, there was a period where, you know, unless I was staying with someone who really liked to watch that particular show, I wouldn't see that show. Mm-hmm. You know? So, yeah, like, there was a like a three-year period there where I was, I was, I was like staying with friends or I was sleeping on couches when I was going to like particular places for work. And so I didn't have any like, consistent uh, access to my own television for want of a better way of putting it. Right. Uh, and so, yeah, there, there are a bunch of shows I just like didn't watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I yeah. can imagine. Huh? Hmm. Yeah. Very interesting. Grand- so, yeah. I, I, I like, you know, 
Vagrant is Vagrant is strong, but at the same time, I didn't really have my own place. Now, can I ask you, was there a situation where, like, maybe, I don't know, once or usually twice uh, while you were staying with a, a friend, like, some sort of terrible, uh, dramatic moment would happen and you would try and help them and, like, you kept getting, like, hurt or, like, locked in things or pushed around and you'd become incredibly angry and then your eyes would turn, like, a white contact lens and then you would, you know, hulk out? Every every week. And then I'd leave and there'd be Uh a really nice piano theme playing. Yeah, okay. Uh, that's what I thought. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you're kind of making it dramatic. You're kind of over-dramatizing it, because that's <laughs> a lot of people grab. You know what it was? I was a little sobo, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the reference is only going to land for, like, a very small section of people. <laughs> the great thing is, A, I'm not one of those people, and B, the littlest hobo is such an excellent punchline unto itself. I mean, okay, it's the just... littlest hobo was a TV show mm-hmm. that, uh, that a, a, a current internet was Canadian, I always thought it was American, uh, that ran on British TV at least, seemingly endlessly when I was a kid. Wow. Uh, and it was a dog. It was oh. essentially, what if Lassie just like traveled the country helping people mm-hmm. uh and so yeah that that's where i was going i i was uh, i was that little sobo that uh there was a theme song oh god and just as i said that i can't remember the, the the tune sadly uh but the theme song went like uh, maybe tomorrow i'll want to settle down until tomorrow i'll just keep moving on wow <laughs> and, and it was meant to be sung by the dog Oh man, I don't know. I think I think I dug my. Well, I guess this manages to get me from asking if you were chased by Jack McGee, a reporter who thought that you were responsible for the death of someone. Um, but yeah, Graham McMillan, Littlest Hobo. God, I can tell you that if you go to YouTube and type into the Littlest Hobo, one of the first results is the Littlest Hobo Maybe Tomorrow theme song. <laughs> oh Jesus! Well. So- I hope that's going to show up in the show notes. (laughs) I hope so, too. I hope so, too. I make no promises, but, yeah, we'll see what we can do. We'll see what we can do. That's great. Um, hmm. I got it. I actually have to pivot off what we were saying. Yeah, pivot, Graham. I Uh, dare you. What you were saying about Saga, uh, because talking about abandoned comics, I reread, or in many, and in some cases actually read, um, Evan Dorkin's Pirate Corps this week Ooh, i've read i've read such a small fraction of the well no maybe i did read oh, here's, the whole here's the story. thing uh-huh core really didn't run for a long time mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so i reread pirate core because uh chloe and i've been talking about pirate core because we've been talking about evan darken a mm-hmm. bunch really um and i've got all the back issues of dark yeah i fucking loved dark loved dark Mm-hmm. Um, and I like I had the milk and cheese back issues as well, right? Because I love milk and right. cheese. And I found all this out through uh, Evan Dorkin did milk and cheese for Deadline in the early nineties, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And and then you know I realized he's publishing Dark and Dark Crate, and then I realized he's publishing something called Pirate Corps, which at that point had been renamed into Hectic Planet. Yes, because he starts slipping away from the from the science fiction stuff and into the 
the like sort of slice of life, even though it's like it's science fiction slice of life. But at some point, yeah. you can tell he's like, I kind of want to get away from the genre yeah. trappings of it, and, and I, I want to do a slice of life. Um, and so I read issues five and six of Hectic Planet as it was then, and I always thought there was much more to this comic. And so Claudia from my birthday got me the first two trade paperbacks of Hectic Planet, mm. which are very out of print now. Yeah. But it turns out there's only th- and one further collection of, of the series, mm-hmm. which only includes the two issues I'd read. Wow. Because he just, like, stopped after issue six. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is kind of nuts. So I should say issue six of the second run. Yes. There was an Eternity Comics run which ran four issues, and then Slave Labor picked it up. Right. Um, but it was it's it's kind of I mean it's great I should say that now like it's something that I I really genuinely enjoyed. Um, mm-hmm. It's very it's very much of its era. It's very much of its influences. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is Love an and Rockets among them. Oh, very yeah, very much so. Right, but also like yeah. I would say there's very heavy uh, anime influence, if not manga influence. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like just in the whole idea of, the, the, you know, in the future there are these space pirates that have guilds that they, they sort of, you know, interrelate to and, and double-cross each other. Mm-hmm. But also there's slice of life in there, there as well. Right. You know? Um, but... I, I like I was reading it and I was like this is this is great I I wonder whatever happened to it and I so I looked into it and sure enough Evan Darkin in like 2000 2001 just talks about how he has had issue seven of the series quote unquote on his drawing board unfinished for years wow like at that point it must have been close to eight years yeah 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 right and it's it's never it's not appeared since. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like for real, that series just disappeared twenty five years ago. Jeez, you know, unfinished. Mm-hmm. And but then again, like it's not really a series that had a finish. It's not like he was telling a story. Do you know what I mean? Right. Like even even in the first two trades, you see him start off as I'm writing a science fiction story, and it's action adventure, and there's double crosses, and there's you know, here's a robot that's maybe an evil killing machine, but maybe he's not. And right. by the time you get to the second collection, which is basically the slave labor issues, mm-hmm. he's all bit going, fuck that shit. I really want to write about this guy who's been dumped and is depressed and goes to the supermarket. Yeah, exactly. You yeah, know, very much so. And kind of like, is he going to be able to get a job somehow? You know, which was a real fun pivot in a way. You know, and it, it is. It's like, you know, he's working a dead-end job because the pirate core thing isn't really working out, but he's still friends with them. Right. You, know, you can see why he renamed the Hector Planet because he really does sort of drop the pirate core thing fairly dramatically. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, kind of, it's kind of great seeing the pivot. Mm-hmm. You know, seeing, like, honestly, it looks like he just loses interest and it's like, well, but I'm still doing this comic, so why don't I just follow the thread that I think I like? You and know, you're hoping that's what happens with Saga. That's exactly what I'm hoping. I'm hoping okay. that the next issue is Hazel as like a 20-something working a mm-hmm. dead end. Absolutely. <laughs> in like an interstellar bookstore. Yep. Right? Yeah. <laughs> it would be great. I'd love that. Um, 
No, but it was it was just funny because it made me think. You know, when we're talking about abandoned comics and we're talking about hiatuses and and yeah. things not coming back, it made me go, oh yeah, like I was really digging Hector Plan and also got weirdly uh, frustrated. Isn't the right way of putting it, but like got upset that there wasn't more. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it was it was like I I would read more of this. I also and I tweeted this this week, but I'm really surprised that no one has actually just tried to adapt it. Mm-hmm. Like for for media there's there's a great animated show in pirate core oh yeah yeah i think that's you know, there, really there, true. I, maybe it's the sort of thing that darkman would, would rather die than than let anyone do but mm. if you honestly mix the slice of life the the science fiction elements and honestly like the ska shit yes if, the, if, yes if, absolutely. If, if you mix the fact that like honestly the bands and the band life mm-hmm. is such a big part of the book and of the book's mm-hmm. culture like you yeah. genuinely would have a really exciting cartoon mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah i think you're right you know I, I think you'd have something there that is that is unlike anything else out there but also like other things enough that it would have an audience yeah yeah definitely you know and so it made me uh, dorkin i mean dorkin's never going to return to this do you know what i mean like mm-hmm. for all the purposes i think he's essentially quit comics he had a Twitter thread the other week about how he's more or less just like he's not in the industry anymore, in part by choice and in part because the industry doesn't want someone like him. Really, Which really sad. But like, yes, yeah. But I can also see where he's coming from. Mm-hmm. You know, but it, it's it it would be great if someone somewhere who has a Netflix deal is like we really should just look at this. <laughs> Right, yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, that you know? would be really good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's yeah. – oh, I, I, so and the other thing, the mm. other thing that um, I, I revisited this week is reinventing comics. Oh, After shit, yes. talking about it last time. Right, right. So you, you asked in Twitter DM, and I didn't answer, and I'm sorry, like th- this week was – Bullshit. Uh, but you, you basically asked, like, how did I get it? And yes. the answer is honestly, Portland's library system is great. Wow. Holy Portland's shit. Library Brent. system is really good. And mm-hmm. so after we did the last podcast, I was like, I kind of want to reread it because I mm-hmm. feel kind of shat on it. Mm-hmm. You know? And and I I, I wanted to. to take a look at it again and jeff we were completely like unfair to that book oh so much more so much better than i expected it so really really. don't tell me that um he's basically right in all of his his technological shit well now he is sure so he is 24 Five years ahead, damn him, or twenty years ahead. No, that's why I'm saying okay, like, it's kind, of, yeah. it's kind of nuts to mm-hmm. look at him writing in two thousands mm-hmm. and realize that for all intents and purposes he was right with mm. all of it. Wow, like really? he doesn't do the microtransaction stuff as much as I remembered him doing. Hmm. Like he is for all intents and purposes when it comes to the technology part, right? Which is kind of nuts to think about. Mm-hmm. Tell me, tell me more. Tell me how. 
Uh, he discusses the way in which the web will, uh, or at least has the potential to democratize the creator audience relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, he doesn't foresee something like Patreon, but he also foresees something like Patreon or Kickstarter, right? Mm-hmm. He mm-hmm. foresees a framework that will exist to create a more direct pathway between audience and creator mm-hmm. that will bypass traditional publications, that will bypass traditional publishers. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about the barriers for payment for audiences in the year 2000 and how they will go away. In terms of like technological advances, he is spot on. Hmm. He is talking about, uh, he's basically talking about like Kindles and iPads in 2000. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Uh, he's talking about like how laptops are going to become cheaper, how laptops are going to become lighter, how there's going to be wearable technology, how there's going to be smaller devices, how all mm-hmm. of those are going to democratize the internet and democratize the potential readership for web comics. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he's, he's right with all of it, with all of it. He talks about the things that will need to happen for people to have to, for people to be able to essentially pay people directly. And mm-hmm. he doesn't say something like Patreon or Kickstarter, or for that matter, like PayPal or Venmo or whatever. Mm-hmm. Right? But that's what he's talking about. He's describing that framework. Mm-hmm. There will have to be a middle party that will act in this fashion. And again, he's spot on. He talks about how it's going to change the types of material that is created, but also how audiences and creators that grow up after, you know, the internet exists, for want of a better way of putting it, mm-hmm. will have a very different relationship to the material, to mm-hmm. expectations. Their expectations will be entirely different and should be entirely different. Mm-hmm. And that as creators, they should be creating something that is very different very different mm-hmm. like he's he's got all of that right mm-hmm. you know he he's he is 100 percent spot on where the book is not spot on is in the first half so the book is two halves and the second half is for want of a better way of putting it the technological aspect right mm-hmm. how the and how digital are going to change the difference between digital comics and scanned versions of existing print comics Hmm. Right. Uh, the difference between uh, the the difference that digital tools can bring to creating a comic, and why, as again, a younger audience grows to become creators themselves, they will do things that is not simply trying to recreate the print comic experience. Again, he's right with that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, some of his examples are. Uh, there's a taste level, I think, going on. Where he's like, "Look, you could do 3D modeling like this," and it's like, "No, but what you could, but why would you?" You know, right? Um, but again, it's 2000. The tools are very different, and as he points out, like he is the wrong generation to be talking about this. Right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the first half is uh, the framework of the book is the 12 revolutions that comics should undergo, in his point of view. Right. Oh, and that's tied to the creator bill of rights type yeah, stuff. Right. right. And so the first mm-hmm. half is the non-technological aspect mm-hmm. of it. And there's a lot of problems with that, especially, honestly, with the fact that the first half of the book is 
they feel like two different books and he even says that in the introduction to the book that they are two different books but the first half feels like a history lesson and the second half right. feels like a forward-looking book and mm-hmm. the history lesson part honestly just isn't as interesting and mm-hmm. feels uh feels lifeless and overly rehearsed in a way that the second half of the book doesn't and also feels biased in a way and insidery in a way that the second half of the book doesn't you know so you get about the the creator bill of rights and he's like yeah and then i rewrote it couldn't find a picture of john toddlebane but he was there and it's like okay sure this this doesn't like it feels like a different it feels like a different less interesting book Mm -hmm. no and that's the part that i think is dated worse you know, especially because he he talks about the need for like more woman creators, and he's basically like woman creators have given up on superheroes, but they can do independent comics, and like that just feels weird now. You know, right? Uh, him talking about he basically presents like there are superhero comics and independent comics, and that's it. And it's like one day there's also going to be kids comics, but you know why don't we have biographies? Why don't we have you know? The other types of books and i was thinking we have all that now mm-hmm. store market mm-hmm. you know and, and for that matter on the web mm-hmm. you know, and it's stuff that he just he is simultaneously asking to, for people to create but phrasing it and 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 you know suggesting it in such a way that it's very clear that he is someone who grew up reading marvel and dc and has you know has discovered other types of books you know i've read some mobius and i'm you know i'm, I'm very much putting words into his mouth this is not a phrase at all but it feels very much like someone who grew up reading marvel and dc and then you know went to a comic store and found some you know bandy destiny you know or, or or saw the mobius reprints from epic in the 80s totally yeah and they yeah, found yeah. like raw and they're like oh my god comic to do all these things too <laughs> you know uh, right and and honestly, you know, in the year two thousand, there was more of that material out there. It's it's mm-hmm. very funny actually. At one point, he name drops Chris Ware, huh. which is funny because like, Ware's what two or three years before uh, Jimmy Corrigan comes mm-hmm. out of the election at that point. So Ware mm-hmm. is relatively underground, <laughs> but mm-hmm. it's so funny seeing him be like, mm, Chris Ware is doing some very interesting formalist stuff, right? <laughs> and, you know, you read it in 2021, you're like, fucking Chris Ware. <laughs> <laughs> True, but then, I mean, who doesn't say that pretty much on a weekly basis, so. Even Chris Ware. Oh, probably especially, especially Chris Ware. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no, but it's, it's, it's funny. The, the other funny thing about revisiting it is not just you know realizing that he was more spot on than i was giving credit for but i remember reading reinventing comics when it came out and viscerally disliking it on an aesthetic level mm-hmm. i remember having real problems with the fact that he was drawing it digitally but the line weight was all entirely uniform mm-hmm. uh and the, the the sketchiness of the first book had been completely you know removed it's a really clean book um and at times he uses like photographs as backgrounds or whatever and i remember just liking that but even more than that i remember hating the computer lettering mm. really like having a very negative reaction to the computer lettering hmm. 
Uh, and the funny thing is, now rereading, like, I had neither of those complaints. <laughs> right, right. You're like, you know, it's fine. you're used to those now. Do you yeah, know what I mean? That's right. Looking at your lettering being like, I bet you this is a Comicraft font. And it fucking is. <laughs> <laughs> you know? But yeah. but it, I did, like, I had such a problem with, with reinventing comics the first time on an aesthetic level. It felt uh, sterile compared with, with uh, understanding comics. Mm-hmm. And honestly, like, I just love Bob Lappin's lettering in that first book. And so mm-hmm. going through computer lettering in the second book, I was just like, ah, no, what have you done? Like, this is a terrible idea. This is a <laughs> terrible, terrible idea. Um, and, and I just, like, none of that was present when I was rereading it this time. Huh. So, huh. like, I, I almost had, like, one, you know, a barrier removed from my my ability to read the book this wow. second time. Hmm. Huh. Yeah, it was nuts. It, it was a very, it was a very strange experience. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, huh. I I have to say I'm 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 a little bummed because I sort of, for whatever reason, I, I I like while you're talking, I'm like, I'm very attached to um, emotionally disliking reinventing comics, and I don't know why. Hmm. But uh, <laughs> huh, I really did. I'm like, oh, every time you tell me something new, I'd be like, no. No. no what, what's really funny is I do feel like last time you and I were both like, oh, that book, oh, fuck, that was a big misstep. Oh, man. Like, you know, yep. he fires himself with that. Right. And then re- rereading and going, shit, he really didn't. Mm. And and being not mad, but uh, surprised and also embarrassed at how off my recollection of the book was. Hmm. You know, it, it it just it it was it it really was like my my reaction to reading the book again now was so impossibly different from the way I remember the book being the mm-hmm. first time I read it. Mm. Like so different. Hmm. Um. Yeah. It was. It was. It was a very uh, sobering experience. Yeah, I can imagine. Like that's that that is. Uh, I think it's great that you went and read it, and wow, it really some seems to somehow fit in thematically with everything else we've been discussing this first hour. So it's kind of like, huh? Well, that's um, that's that's a tight five. Okay, so sorry. So reinventing comics, not 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 something that Jeff's allowed to mock anymore, and I'm very well, sad about you. That. You can, but. Uh, I would I would have to disagree with you, I guess. Mm. I'm don't sorry. Like I, I just don't like it. Don't. Mm, that's okay. That's fine. You've chosen sides. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I have. I've gone to war with you, and I'm I'm sorry about that. Hey, I am talking about going to war. Yes. Wow. Good segue. Um, no, I, I read I read a lot of Eternals comics in last week. Oh. Really? In fact. I'll put this in slightly more context. I have reread not only a lot of Eternals comics in the last week, but also a lot of DC's Outsiders comics mm. in the last week. I don't know why the Outsiders. I genuinely don't. Mm-hmm. I'll get to that in a second. But the reason I'm saying it, talking about war, you, I know you're not as big a fan of Kieran Gillen as I am. It, mm-hmm. I would go as 
so far as say you're not really Kieran Gillen fan. Have yeah. you sampled his Outsiders? I his, sorry, his Eternals. He's not written Outsiders. Thank you. Uh, that was very confusing for me. I have not, but I have to admit, I'm tempted to. I've been tempted to. I liked it, and now having read the first storyline in a oneer in one mm-hmm. sitting again. I really like it, and I think it's the one Eternals that isn't Kirby's that's worked. Interesting. Uh, especially after reading it, and I've been like, I fucking love the Eternals. The Eternals are great. I'm going to go back and read the Peter Gillis series from the 80s. No. <laughs> no, that was a mistake. Uh, and even more of a mistake was following it up with the two 1990s one-shots that followed. Mm. Both of which are also on Marvel Unlimited. Especially the Roy Thomas-written one, the Herod Factor is terrible. Is it? Terrible. Yes. Ah. Yes. 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 Holy shit! Yes, it's really <laughs> not very good. Um, the the Gillen one I really do like, and in part I like it because I feel that he is maintaining the epic scope of what Kirby did, mm-hmm. and that is basically all he's maintaining of the Kirby. Hmm. Um, I kind of want to spoil it because it's a big the, the first storyline ends up being a pretty big retcon uh, of how the Eternals mythology works Okay, but in such a way that the retcon itself is a story Okay, like sixth issue ends with the revelation and the revelation is something that is going to reverberate forward sure it goes into as and I think Given the other eternal stories that have appeared in the, in between Kirby and, and Gillen, this is this is actually necessary. The idea that Eternals can actually die. Right? Because when you get to like the Gillis storylines in the eighties, the mm-hmm. idea is the Eternals cannot die. Right? Just it's impossible. You can try and kill them, but for whatever MacGuffin reason, they will not actually be dead. Right? Mm, right. In the uh, in the Gillen run, he starts off by saying, "No, they die, but they also come back to life." That is how they're. That's how they're eternal. Hmm. Uh, and he kind of has to. Jason Aaron killed them in his first Avenger storyline. Remember? Oh, uh, right. Mm-hmm. All all of them died. So mm-hmm. in order for him to do an Eternal series, he has to bring them back to life. Mm. So he starts with the idea that the Eternals always die and always come back to life, and. To do so is one of the functions of the machine, the resurrection machine. Mm. And the resurrection machine is Earth. Mm. Earth is itself uh, a, a machine, uh, an ascension machine, because Earth is also the narrator of the comic. Um, wow. But Earth is Earth is a machine that exists to safeguard the Eternals, who exist to safeguard humanity. Mm. Right, mm-hmm. and the the revelation at the end of the sixth issue, then the first storyline. Spoilers, for people, because this is like if you're put this way, if you're following along Marvel Unlimited, this isn't out in Marvel Unlimited yet. Oh, uh, okay. Okay, then I won't spoil it. But there's there's a big there's a big retcon there that significantly changes the series and significantly changes the mythology. Hmm. And as Gillen has said in interviews surrounding it, gives the Eternals the thing that he thought they were missing as Marvel characters, which is it gives them tragedy. Hmm. 
because his theory in, in I've seen him say this in a couple of interviews is the Eternals as previously existed weren't mm-hmm. Marvel characters because Marvel characters require tragedy. Mm-hmm. They require something bad. There mm-hmm. has to be some negative thing that has happened to make them the characters that they are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And as he said, it like no, the Eternals didn't have that. Right. They were like created by the Celestials, and they were perfect and beautiful. Right. And that was it. Hmm. Um, another thing that Gillen brings in that he plays up as a negative trait, whereas others have played up as a positive. It's the idea idea that the Eternals can't change. Mm. The Eternals exist to serve specific functions. Each of the Eternals exists to serve a specific function inside Eternal society, and Eternal society exists to safeguard humanity and therefore can't change. Mm. So uh, his suggestion is like Thena, who in previous series has been shown to have relationships with with Crow of the Mm -hmm. Deviants. She has to leave the Eternals in order to do that. Because she's outside the interests of eternal society. So she's cast out. And one of the things that that Gillen brings in is basically people who are acting outside the interests of the Eternals are cast out of eternal society. And in some cases are basically excommunicated or or Hmm. like are put on on ice and are never spoken. Because he has the series has a a number of, you know, Hickman-esque data pages Mm -hmm. where he goes into the mythology of this and goes into the thing and some of the some of those characters don't even have names anymore hmm. because they have been excommunicated to that level one of them is Thanos's father hmm. because Thanos in in Marvel mythology is kind of an eternal yeah right uh, and that's one of the central plot points of this first storyline hmm. is Thanos a true, a true eternal or not if he's not why isn't he? If he is, then what does that mean? Hmm. Right? Um, because if he is, the other thing is, if he is, then he has access to the resurrection machine. Mm-hmm. He has access to everything that the Eternals do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which is a problem. <laughs> huh. That's very right? well done. Yeah. Um, so so there's a lot of world building he does. Gillen does. Uh, but he also does, I said that the Earth is the narrator of the 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 series yes the, the central conceit of the first storyline is the machine's broken so it takes away the resurrection portion of the the, the eternals mm-hmm. but it's broken in other ways mm-hmm. but if you break the machine you break the earth mm-hmm. so you have like climate change and everything are basically explained away as oh the machine's broken mm-hmm. hmm. like this is a problem. We've broken the planet. Right. Right. But Gillen, as he as the series goes on and as he's writing the Earth as narrator, the Earth kind of turns into the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. There are points where he's really, really in that tone of voice, which is kind of great. That's wild. Um, but also it becomes uh, an enjoyably digressive series mm-hmm. that allows Gillen to switch between timelines as necessary. Hmm. Right? So he's like, so literally the narrator will go, oh, that reminds me of this thing in the middle of a fight scene. <laughs> and then you have a flashback. Right. And then it's like, oh, where was I? Oh, that's right. Icarus mm-hmm. is being beaten up by Thanos. Mm-hmm. 
and then it goes back. Um, and then Gillen realizes that the reader expects that and starts playing with that. So at one point it's like, oh, it reminds me of that. No, no, I, I don't, I, you know, I'm losing track of things. And so it, it feels as if it's heading into a flashback and then doesn't. Mm, that's really which, funny. Which is, it is, it's a very fun conceit. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it feels a very playful book, but again, a, an incredibly ambitious book. Yeah. That is building a new mythology around the Eternals. Hmm. But also a mythology around the Eternals that gives them a purpose for existing in the Marvel Universe mm-hmm. and gives them something that does separate them from the Inhumans or from, you know, fill in the blank of any other, you know, outsider realm of... of right, of, secret of, tribe of... You know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a, a really successful series. But what's great about it for me is it makes the Eternals feel like a series that should exist. Mm-hmm. As opposed to a series that is existing because there's a movie coming out, right, right. You know, it it it's it is honestly maybe the best thing Marvel's putting out right now. Wow. Yeah, it's really good, and I I, I genuinely recommend it to you. Hmm. Uh, in part because you do like the original Kirby Eternals, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and you like Isad Rebic's art. Yes, and, right. Probably, yeah. So he's he's the artist, mm, and yeah. he and Matt Wilson do some lovely artwork for this book. Yeah, yeah, that sounds fabulous. I gotta say, I've been meaning to check it out, uh, honestly, despite my um, Gillen reservations. Um, the it's... first five issues are on Marvel Unlimited now. Mm-hmm. Um, I I'm tempted to say wait until the sixth one's on and then read them all, mm-hmm. because the reveal in the sixth is is good mm-hmm. it, it it works and it lands in such a way that at least when i was reading it for the first time i kind of knew where it was going mm-hmm. and i kind of expected it mm-hmm. but that it actually did it was mm-hmm. nonetheless a surprise huh interesting hmm. because, well, it's, it's one of those things where um there's a Chekhov's gun situation Within mm-hmm. like I think the second issue, where you you literally know something is going to happen. Mm-hmm. You don't know how it's going to happen. You don't know why it's going to happen, but you know that something's going to happen. Icarus gets a look at the future, mm-hmm. and he sees something, and he's like, "Okay, I have to stop this thing happening." Mm. And basically, as soon as you see him do that, you know it's going to happen, right? right? Like, yeah, you understand the dramatic implications of this. Mm-hmm. And there comes a point where. It, the more characters talk about specific concepts, you're like, I think this is connected somehow, but I don't know how, or at least mm-hmm. I can't be what I think it is. Mm-hmm. And then when it turns out that it is, mm-hmm. it's a really good way of of adding a complication to the mythology that, that Gillen is building. Mm-hmm. And a complication that is... is that says a lot about the various characters in the series huh. and that and that's very much his intent mm-hmm. it's it's enough of a wrinkle that it becomes a shorthand to well is this eternal a good eternal because mm-hmm. if they're a good eternal they will have a response to this and if they don't have a response to this you know they're a bad eternal mm. huh. I'm being very like I'm 
I'm like, I just want to fucking say it. Don't stretch it. No. Yes, I should. I definitely should. Uh, I should read it. And in fact, I I will I will try to do that before our next wait. What? Because of course, I believe we've got a drop right around the course. Yeah. Yeah. Um, th- also, on an entirely different note, but related to it, like I said, I was reading Outsiders. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know this? There's there's the story that the fairly famous slash infamous story at this point of Herb Trimpey. Uh, trying to m- remain relevant in the 1990s, and so he tries to draw like Liefeld. Yes. I didn't realize there was a writer equivalent to this. <laughs> I read the 1990s Outsider series, which is by Mike W. Barr, who wrote the first Outsiders incarnation. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's stunning to read. Hmm. Because if you had hidden writer's credits, I would not have thought it was the same person at all. In really? the slightest. Uh, and there's only, like, Outsiders Volume 1 ends in, like, 88, and Outsiders Volume 2 starts, like, five years later. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a pretty short period of time. Um, but the the level to which Barr is either writing against his natural inclination because he thinks it's what the audience wants, or maybe he hit his head really fucking hard. <laughs> because one, I, I find the first incarnation of Outsiders remarkably charming. Uh, hokey as shit, it does feel very much in the, in the Bob Haney uh, mold. Nowhere near as charming as Bob Haney. Right. But in the same way that Haney was... Like sentimental and camp and and you know kind of cheesy, yeah. You know, like unafraid to just completely just go. Well, this is a terrible idea, but I'm committing to it. Mm-hmm. Barr isn't as shameless, but he gets there sometimes. Mm-hmm. You know, like the one of the like there you have the people's heroes in the 1980s series who are a Russian super team who are called things like Molotov. And then there's a <laughs> called Hammer and Sickle as part of it. Yeah, right. But you also get, like, the Duke of Oil is a Texas oil man who is out to destroy the outsiders at one point as well. Like, it gets really camp and cheesy. There's the Force of July, the very nationalistic team, yes. right? That, you know, there is just great terribleness in there. Um. But it, it's also it it feels very much like Barr has looked at things like New Teen Titans, X Men for Marvel, mm-hmm. and it's like okay, this is this is kind of how a team book should work, and and I can do this, you know, I can juggle soap opera with like you know traditional superheroics, I can I can make this work, and I think he does for the most part. There's some absolutely wacky shit in there, the entire Looker. Is just yeah, nuts as a concept for people who are unfamiliar with the Outsiders. Looker is a quote-unquote ugly scientist who becomes beautiful and a telepath at the same time and leaves her husband because he doesn't appreciate her being beautiful, but wow. hates that she leaves her husband and so has an affair with Geoforce. Isn't really an affair. Geoforce being another member of the team. Uh, which isn't really an affair because he doesn't really want to have the affair, but he does because she's so beautiful. 
Wow. Like, you know, there's there's some wacky shit in there. And then in the second series, the 1990 series, Luker becomes a vampire because of course she fucking does. Wow. Because the villain for the first year of the book is a vampire. For the first year of the second series? Yeah, for the first year of the 1990s book. The 1990s book is, I mean, just amazing. Um, There is... It feels as if it's a book that you're reading on fast forward. Mm-hmm. And that a book you're also almost all of the logic and exposition has been dropped. So you get like fights happening and the teams formed, but they're kind of not really formed, but suddenly they're two teams because they've fallen out and they're fighting against each other, but maybe they're not fighting against each other. But one of them's a vampire. Is she an evil vampire? Who can tell? What is evil? Who even knows? And it just feels like the entire thing is just being sped through. Wow. Uh, and then the characters are are amazing because they keep he keeps some of the the characters for series, but he replaces them with uh, the son of Felix Faust, the the Justice League villain. Yeah. Who never really gets explained. He's a magician and he has a scary eyes. He has scary eyes. Maybe you never see why. You never see what the scary eyes are. You see other people going, ah, joke, put the glasses back on. Uh, <laughs> it's uh, uh, an Iron Man ripoff and his, his amazing bodyguard who, and this will explain how great and nonsensical this series is. His bodyguard is called Charlie Wilde, W-Y-L-D-E. Mm-hmm. In, I think, the second issue of the series, Charlie gets uh, attacked by a bear that almost kills him. Okay. And then Faust meets him and restores him by melting him with the bear. And so for the rest of the series, Charlie Wilde now goes by the name Wilde, and is trying to keep his bear rage under control. Whoa! That's yes. amazing. Yeah. Wow. It's it's great. And and of course fails to keep his bear rage under control because of course he does. He has a berserker rage all of his own. Well, which see, I guess is being a bear. <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. Wild. Oh. And and the, the other thing that's great about this is. He never officially is renames himself Wild. Everyone just starts calling him Wild as soon as he becomes a bear. Mm. Before that, they're all calling him Charlie. And then once he becomes a bear, everyone's like, what about Wild? <laughs> <laughs> because of course they are. Um, Halo, who was one of the characters from the first series who had an astonishingly convoluted origin. She was a bad girl who almost died, but instead became possessed by an angel who then got amnesia, and so she didn't know that she was an angel or a bad girl until she did. At one point, gets killed again in the second series by the evil ex-wife of the Iron Man ripoff, but then she comes back to life because her soul then possesses the dead ex-wife. But that's okay, because at the end of the series, you find out that the dead ex-wife has come back to life in Halo's body. And they both have the same powers. Wow. This sounds, it sounds, um, yeah, it sounds, it sounds charmingly convoluted. It's, it's 
absolutely nuts. Uh, both series also end with such... They feel like they were cancelled midway through the last issue, for want of a better way to put it. Uh-huh. That there's not even an attempt at a wrap-up. The, the 1980 series ends with a Millennium crossover issue that actually ends with... Uh, Hale, I think it is, is put in a coma. And the rest of the team actually go, we're too sad to continue being superheroes. And one of them goes, I'll call the Justice League and let them know. And that's the end of the series. Wow. Yeah, for real. That's great. It's, it's, they're, they're amazing to read, like, all the way through as well. And mm-hmm. to think that they're all done by the same person. Except they're not, cause, um... Chuck Dixon and then Frank Thierry resurrect the book in the 2000s. Oh, oh no. Um, and and again, with a massively different cast. But the Thierry run in particular is great. Because 11 issues into the new Batman Outsider series from the 2000s, mm-hmm. in the middle of a storyline, Batman R.I.P. starts running in the other books. <laughs> never finish the story oh shit they just don't finish it instead they go into a different story altogether wow wow it's it's cancelled it just doesn't end the story like just doesn't end it's the point where i'm like it has to cross over with another comic right they don't say it's in the comic but it has to because otherwise the story just didn't finish Mm mm-hmm mm-hmm but all of a sudden the next issue everyone's like i can't believe batman's dead and I was like, what? When, when did that happen? <laughs> yeah. Oh, it, I kind of love that. All of the Outsiders books are, in their own way, utter messes by the time they, they finish. If not, like, midway through the run. Right. Which is a shame. Cause, like, the first the ba- first Batman the Outsiders series, which kind of got relaunched as Outsiders midway through, yeah. um, is great for, like, three quarters of that run. Mm. It's really enjoyable, uh, old-fashioned superheroes. Very, yeah, very old-fashioned. Barr is is uh, is a real retro creator. Very much. I mean, like even of the time. Like for whatever reason, like other people are doing like really knowing pastiches at that point of material, and I feel like Barr's just like. I'm just straight up redoing it, which is part of the reason why I feel like his Detective Comics run with Alan Davis is so fun. You know, yeah. it's like, you know, Alan Davis do issues a, a run on Outsiders. Oh, real God. I have to say, I would love seeing Alan Davis draw the Outsiders. That's something I didn't even know actually ever existed or happened. Also in the so Batman Outsiders runs until issue I, I'm guessing this point it's like issue 34 or something and then they did the the thing where they relaunched the book with issue one as a baxter series and then reprinted yes. them yep um but when it's relaunched as a baxter series jim aparo is in theory the lead artist mm-hmm. but either he's not hitting deadlines or mike Barr just wants some variety but you get a number of backups mm-hmm. by a genuinely astonishing uh, lineup of artists. Brian Boland does a Looker and Metamorpho team up. Oh, good Christ! Wow, yeah, that'd be amazing. Uh, you've got Trevor Von Eden in there. Uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez is in there. Like it, the lineup, the art lineup on on the the Baxter series for the backups 
is shocking. Yeah. And you're talking like 85, 86. You've got a yeah. lot in their prime. Right, right. Back work. Wow. And it's all like, you know, six or seven page strips. Yeah, the Boland stuff's lovely. Boland doing Metamorpho, I did not know how much I I wanted to see it until I saw it. Yeah, it's yeah. Metamorpho right. is amazing. Yeah. Wow, I would love to see that. Huh. No, huh. like that 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 uh, Batman the Outsiders slash the Outsiders, mm-hmm. the first era of Outsiders. It has some great comics in there. Mm-hmm. Great, really, really good comics in there. And then things go to shit. <laughs> <laughs> then the 1990s run happens, and it's just a mess, Jeff. It's wow. just wow. I mean, it's an entertaining mess, but it's oh boy. <laughs> they they um, are they. I mean, all honestly, I can think is that Barr really thought this is what they want, and just went for it. Yeah, there's a there's a few things in there that sort of make me feel. I have a little bit of that same deja vu during those um, that uh, final DeFalco Paul Neary run on is it Neary on Fantastic Four, where or is it Paul Ryan? Why am I? It's Paul Ryan. It is Paul Ryan. Thank you. Um, on Fantastic Four, where it's clear they're like, yeah, X Men are selling like hotcakes, and apparently, what people love are mysterious characters from the future and family relations that may not be trustworthy and 9 million potential plot situations that we drag on and never actually resolve. This is apparently what people want, you know? Yeah. And so hearing you describe some of that stuff, I mean, just the idea that you're like, Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to figure out how to replicate that old Wolverine magic with, you know, Charlie Wilde, a guy who gets, you know, merged with a bear and has to fight his homicidal bear impulses. I'm like, okay, yes. But on the other hand, so deeply no, you know, like just such a great way of misunderstanding a character that feels very, you know, golden age or, you know, where it's like, oh, the human torch is big. Why don't we have the inhuman sprinkler do six issues of that yeah the inhuman sprinkler he's a man who turns into water and spritzes people and makes their clothes damp go 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 you know like there's just something that's pretty pretty great about that yeah it's 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 a joy but it's a very particular joy if that makes sense (laughs) yes very much so yeah you You know where you're like i i'm kind of liking this for all the wrong reasons yeah, and you know there are there is stuff in there to like for the right reasons as well. Oh, but absolutely, you, know, you got Jim Aparo run a good chunk of it, which is just right there. Oh, there there's a, the 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 1980s stuff. There's like an entire annual by Kevin Nolan. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I might have read that one actually. I don't remember recently. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, right? So, but yeah, there's there's something where it's sort of I feel it does feel like there are times where even when you get, for lack of a better term, dipshit comics nowadays, they're sort of more self-consciously dipshit comics. You know what yeah. I mean? No, very much so. Yeah, you and know, there's... You, you, you don't get things that are shameless? 
I guess. Yeah, exactly. Shameless the right way to put it, but you you don't get things that are kind of you know this is what they want. Damn, damn the torpedoes and our taste. Well, you know, uns- I, maybe unselfconscious. Maybe that's the way to to yeah. really put it. Like I don't feel like bars stuff is very self-conscious at all which is yeah, no I, I i don't think he has that ability in him yeah and and again which is probably why his stuff reads kind of retro or why it fits into a retro pattern so well because there's never really any sense that he's sitting there being like yeah i know you guys are gonna dig this one check it out instead he's like straight up like no why wouldn't you do a series about a bear like you know, yeah. okay, but the weird thing is, like, I I find myself wanting to see more about Charlie Wilde. Sure, like yeah. you do. You're like this character's absolutely nuts. Yeah, 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 yeah. But that's exactly. But that's kind of what you want. You kind of want the the crazy. You know, I think. I, I, I also I reread because there's a, there's in this the eighty series there's a crossover issue with Infinity Inc. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've been dipping in and out of Infinity Inc. a bunch. I think I've said this to mm-hmm. you before. Mm-hmm. I kind of want a, a book at DC where they actually do use like Charlie Wilde or, or some of the weird Infinity Inc. characters or, you know, or some of the New Guardians. Do you know what I mean? Like there's some weird ass characters out there. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And I don't I don't necessarily mean in the like I'm sure some of them are going to appear in this one star squadron book that, that Steve Lieber yes. and Mark Russell are doing. Right? right. But I don't necessarily mean in a comedy way. No, exactly. Like, I want a fun book that's like, you know who's great? Vibe. Vibe yeah. was unironically great. So is Charlie Wilde. He's a exactly. bear. Yeah, right. You know, like, I, we're going to do a team-up book of them. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I want that book. I I always loved Razorback, you know, the super-powered trucker who dresses like a big pig that popped yes. up. Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man or whatever. And love that character. I love that character. And, you know, I think he's come back because, of course, Jason Aaron also loves him, too, but also did him in a, like, hey, this guy's ridiculous. And I'm like, look, I hate to say it, but I believe I can connect those dots, Jason Aaron. I understand that he is a man dressed like a pig driving a big rig. Like, I I can put the let's just tell in a, a story where he's got to, you know, fight, I don't know, mutant bears, you know, because, you know, you need more bears in comics, I guess. I, I mean, I think we'd all agree that you do. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Graham McMillan, are you ready for a pivot? Because I, 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 think, I think I do not necessarily have uh, much more gas in the tank thanks to the thrown back and the uh the painkiller that i popped at the break but um but i did think that it was worth trying our hand perhaps at another round if you're game oh oh yes of my four manga yes please okay so let's see here Uh, uh all right so four manga three of them Real three, one of three them, of them uh, real one of them's fake, right? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Uh, okay, so let's see here. Um, all right, the first one is the Walking Cat, which exactly as you would think is a story about a zombie apocalypse. <laughs> no, 
Yep. Told from the point of view of a cat. Amazing. Trying to survive. I honestly was going to make that joke when it was called The Walking. Yes. Yep. See? Well, there you go. Okay. Uh, Next one is called You're My Demon Lord Senpai, which is um, Senpai. I don't know if you're really familiar with the term, Graham, but it's kind of a it's kind of a thing um, where somebody who's your senior or superior is your senpai and then the junior is the kohai and there's it's usually a <laughs> denotation of what why are you laughing already because i honestly feel already that this is the fake one just because i feel like you're explaining it so much but i also thought the walking cat was a fake because it, it's the walking cat so so you okay, got it we're, we're, we're doing well so far both yeah, we definitely are. You're on like two fakes. I yeah. gotta admit, it would be like me to throw in three fakes and one real, just uh, just to spite you. Oh, damn it! I forgot to mention the gnomes in the Walking Cat. Fuck. All right. No. Uh, anyway, so you're my demon lord senpai. So uh, uh, essentially, there is a mystical order of battle angels, which are women that are given superpowers to be able to fight the forces of darkness. And um, the current battle angel for Tokyo is a an excessively clumsy teenage high schooler girl. She ends up, in part after comical hijinks, having to sign up for the Kendo Club, where which you know, I don't know you know Kendo anyway yeah, yeah, martial yeah. arts yeah 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 so her. Senpai, which is to say the 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 head of the club, the student head, is an aloof but attractive dude that um, they sort of don't like but bond, of course, because he wants to win the national tournaments. She's a big klutz, except, of course, she's got these superpowers. Anyway, they end up sort of having a semi kind of you know are they ever going to get together the twist being that he the senpai is also the demon lord of tokyo who is the guy who is causing all the big horrible stuff to happen okay again i feel like you're explaining it in such detail that i'm immediately suspicious but at the same time if you are making this up i feel that you have to try and sell this somewhere because you've put so much thought into it right or maybe I'm just describing an actual... I'm, you've given so much more description than The Walking Cat, which makes one of them suspicious, but I don't know which one. Okay, so Booty Royale. Uh, never Booty Royale is the next manga. Booty Royale, never go down without a fight. Um, Wait, no, no, no. As in, like, Casino Royale, but with booty as in B-O-O-T-Y? Yes, Booty what? Royale. Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly, okay. Graham. Booty Royale, never go down without a fight, is well, the story. On, on. Is that a comma or a, a colon? Like, is someone called Booty Royale and they're not to go down without a fight? Okay, it is Booty Royale, comma, never go down without a fight. But Wait, the so character name? is the character is not named Booty Royale. Oh. No. Okay, that's that. yeah. I'm, I'm actually now sad. I yeah, I heard Graham. Uh, 
So, Booty Royale, this is the other thing, is, is like, I'm like, ah, the ones that I have to put the detail into or not. Okay, so Booty like, when you don't have the enthusiasm, or you, or I feel you've caught on. Anyway, Booty Royale is about a graver, uh, a idol, um, graver, again, don't know if you're aware, is no. like a certain type of Japanese sea-less c-list celeb kind of like a pop idol but kind of the seamier side of it like essentially a, a graveur is someone who who doesn't quite have enough talent to get into the various talent shows but wants to break into showbiz and kind of goes for lack of a better term kind of like the playboy bunny route like does a lot of nude and near nude appearances and things um but oh, he's kind of a, Softcore kind of way. Hello. Yes. No. No. I, okay. I. I am again. I, this is one of the ones where I'm almost hoping it's it is real because otherwise I feel like I'm getting too much of a look inside your brain. Okay. This is. If I. Why do I play this game with you, Graham? It always somehow seems to reflect poorly on me. <sighs> this is the worst. Okay. Anyway. So, yes, she is sort of a C-list celeb who does not want to go full nudie, full porno. Everyone else wants her to. However, the thing that they don't know is despite her amazing um, sexy bod, she is a super karate champ. And she more or less keeps ending up in situations where she has to have some sort of brutal karate fight where if she loses she's going to end up being you know quote-unquote forced to do a porno but if she wins she's allowed to try and and take the next step of her stardom and pursue her dreams of a singing career i'm i gotta be honest i'm now hoping this is real not just because it's as inside inside your brain but because that twist was amazing okay and then finally, the last of our four manga, Reborn as a Vending Machine, I Wander the Dungeon. So, I hang on. I I think I I think I know that's real mm -hmm. because I think you and I have talked about this before. I I yeah I that's that one's real. Okay. Um. Because I'm fairly sure you and I have talked about this before, and it might even have been in the conversation that started this whole contest in the first place. Interesting. So it's well, a. I know, it's, that, I know that one trail. It's an isekai. Uh, I'm still going to describe it just in case you change your mind partway through. It's an isekai, which is, I think I mentioned in our previous My Four Manga, somebody dies and is reborn in a fantasy world. Uh, usually in another form or shape, and they have to sort of use their knowledge from their previous mundane life to be able to do things in this new real fantasy world. This is, unsurprisingly, a guy whose great abiding love is for vending machines. He loves using them. As you know, they're prolificate throughout Japan. Um, he ends up, in the course of trying to prevent one from being damaged, ends up being crushed to death by one and uh, finds himself reborn as a vending machine 
in the middle of this vast fantasy world. He is unable to speak or communicate except with the pre-programmed phrases he has as a vending machine. Um, he's able with the vending machine menus to look through and select items that he can put in the racks. And the more that people spend their money buying products, the more points that he accumulates that allow him to do a number of limited um, magical spells, such as a force field or to heal himself or others. He ends up befriending and being befriended by a female hunter from the nearby village um, of course he does. <laughs> who ends up um, appreciating his corn soup and ends up carrying him back to the village um, where he ends up more or less becoming a valued member of the community uh, and is well, basically, the adventures are to continue because there's currently only one volume out. So those are your my four manga gram. Okay, the last one's definitely real. Yes. The last one, weirdly enough, also makes me sh- convinced that Booty Royale is real. Yes. So it's down to the walking cat and whatever the middle one was. Uh, the the yes. demon lord one, right? You're my demon lord senpai. Shit. The walking cat is the walking dead through the eyes of a cat, but there's also gnomes, you said? No, actually, I was supposed to throw gnomes in every description because I was so pissed that that's how you guessed last time. (laughs) Oh, see? Oh, God. Okay. Because here's the thing, the gnomes made me think that the walking cat was fake. But now that I know that the gnomes aren't real. That's right. The gnomes were supposed okay, to be wait, included okay. in every Give, give me like a one-sentence description of the demon lord one. Uh, you're my demon lord senpai. It one sentence. Would, one sentence would be um, magical kick-ass girls karate club instructor is her secret arch nemesis. That's the fake one. Ah! You're right. (laughs) (laughs) Shit! (laughs) All right. Well, well done. That's funny. If you had... Okay. (laughs) What? Yes, go ahead. Critique me. Hopefully it'll make me stronger for next time. If you hadn't told me that Buddha Royale was real, mm-hmm. then I wouldn't... Uh, the idea that you picked two real ones that included karate and martial, martial arts mm-hmm. seemed off to me. Yeah, if you had not said that, if you had not said that Buddha Royale was real, mm-hmm. I probably would have gone for the walking cat. Mm, interesting okay well there we go there we go yeah walking cat is pretty interesting it's uh i'm i'm not all the way through it the volume that went on sale digitally collects all three all i guess all three volumes it's like 559 pages or something i'm only about 100 pages in and and it, it 
which is great because it actually got to the period where I'm like, why do they say it's like the story of the cat through through the cat's eyes? It's very much about this one dude who adopts the cat. And then, of course, it being a zombie thing, he's he dies and he ends the cat ends up with someone else. And it's ironically enough, the woman that he's searching for in the zombie apocalypse, it's. And it's very short, like each section is maybe like 10 pages. And it's funny that you were talking about Hectic Planet because there's um, – it it doesn't seem like real polished manga. I'd be really curious. It wouldn't surprise me if it, it was like, again, something that was covered on a, a web service like Pixiv or, or Webtoons or something and was popular and got collected. It's like 7 to 10 pages, and, and, which is very short, and, and the art – Kind of reminds me of black and white art from not not Hectic Planet, but, you know, but from those days, you know what I mean? Like very much of the, oh, yeah, it's very easy to imagine slave labor um, publishing The Walking Cat. So, um, but well done, Graham. I have to say I I'm very bummed. I didn't think I'd mentioned Reborn as a vending machine. I now wander the dungeon, but I got to say that is being released in um, simultaneously in Japan. It was originally apparently a successful light novel, as they call them, and is now being adapted into a a manga and is being released in like basically chapter by chapter rather than as a collected volume. So there have been two episodes out um, and and I dig them. We didn't talk about it here. We've talked about it off the recording. Yeah, maybe that's it. That's that's one in the past where like I have been just like I, that was one of the all of these things have absolutely insane titles. How is this even real? Conversations right. that we. Yeah, exactly, exactly, and uh, yeah, quite good. Reborn is a vending machine. I now wandered the dungeon. Um, yeah, enjoyable. Uh, I've also read some other manga. I mentioned uh, Watakoi, uh, and um, the latest volume of um, Parallel Paradise. And oh God, what's the other one that I read that I was like, oh right, I've got to mention. Um, I don't have it on my list. Uh, but so I'll pivot and just mention that um, in the show notes. Uh, but for people who don't want to wait, I will have a link to um joe mcculloch wrote a absolutely fantastic um little obit for takeo saito um who died uh of pancreatic cancer on september 24th at the age of 84 uh, saito is the creator of my beloved gogo 13 and uh, mcculloch does a wonderful job um summing up the man's career um the context and uh and the appeal it was kind of a quite quite the bummer to see um saito depart but it's a it's a truly tremendous um uh overview of of the man in his career so yeah well, i will i will ask when search that out um oh, boys sorry. run the riot volume three sorry i should mention i also read boys run the riot which as you know is the um young trans man who uh gets into a clothing line tries to design a rogue clothing line really quite good um and i have to say that between 
it and uh, Watakoi, which has a um, one of the main characters has clearly some sort of uh, social anxiety disorder. Uh, and there was one other manga that I was reading recently where I was like, oh, this is so like relatable and of the times watching having a manga in which a character is gripped by something that that is just so common uh oh sweat and soap i think i mentioned in our last volume in our last volume where the where the female protagonist um in the romantic relationship ends up um meeting one of the people who bullied her during her childhood and the way that she is not really able to cope with that and the the weird cog it throws in her relationship just some really good stuff like despite the fact that these are basically well boys run the riot is 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 of the you know we're in high school and we have passion and we can succeed despite the odds kind of um manga um you know but with a twist um the other two are just sort of good old-fashioned kind of light comedy light romance kind of things that that have that sort of extra context of like oh but this is somebody with a real with with something that's recognizably real so Mm -hmm. um so those were those were good things. Those were good things. I won't bore y'all with um, the fact that I read a, a lot of Marvel team up, um, uh, thanks to one of the latest um, Marvel masterworks that was on sale recently. But I think that's also been a big chunk of things. So that's very funny. I've been in a real craving to read Marvel team up lately. I, I, I yeah, I, I don't know why. I've been really, really, really into the idea of the old. In particular, like the early '80s era of Marvel Team Up. I don't know why. Mm, mm. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think, I think again, there's sort of a weird comfort food kind of thing. I think there's also, oh, definitely. You know, I think, I think because so many of them are single issues, um, you know, it's sort of, and, and I think it, as you've expressed, I think about. Ben Grimm and the thing there's there's something that's really fun about seeing characters who keep encountering other characters in the Marvel universe especially if they don't always all have the same relationship with mm-hmm. one another you know mm-hmm. um one thing that's really fun is the the masterworks that I read which is I think let me see. It's Marvel Team Up Masterworks Volume Six. Like Volume Five, it has the um, Marvel calendar in the back from like 1977, um, which is it's not which is not the banger that 1976 was, if you ask me. But um, and it also has the first uh, the Marvel premiere um, Wood God issue by Bill Mantlo and Keith Giffen. Mm-hmm. Which is a weird the classic, yeah, <laughs> classic. Um, and and it also opens with an uh, introduction by Chris Claremont, where he actually spends the majority of his time basically uh, paying tribute to Bill Mantlo, which is which was oh, kind of great. Lovely. Yeah, a very very lovely 
um, little thing talking about the two of them being sort of struggling Marvel bullpen writers and stuff. So this, yeah, it's kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a good little volume, something worth keeping in mind if Marvel does its uh, black Friday sales or whatever. On. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I, I think I will make a point of of looking for that. To be honest, yeah. Um, the, the one last thing I want to say that I read recently is, uh, you are familiar with the Phoenix comic, right? Uh, the Brit comic Phoenix. Yeah, the Brit comic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, they put out collections in the US. Mm. I've also thought the only way to get it here was was Sigley, but no, they put out big thick collections. Oh, uh, I and I read the first one of those, and it's really good. Huh. Like it's good in this in uh, I'm trying to think of a good way of saying this. It's good in a way that's just good comics. Like it's mm-hmm. not even good kids comics. It's just mm-hmm. really fucking good comics. Uh, and and for all the conversation about Dorkin earlier on, uh, mm-hmm. there's there is that sense of humor in some of the strips, mm-hmm. which kind of makes it even better kids comics. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like they have recurring, very small bits. Uh, about Red Panda being a jerk, like, and it's literally just a Red Panda going up to people and being mean, and that's it. It's ah! the three panels of Red Panda going up to like a giraffe and being like, "You're ugly and your neck's too long." <laughs> it's just like Red Panda, he's an asshole. Like, it doesn't they say asshole? But it's like he's a jerk, and like ah! that's a joke. Wow. And it's a recurring bit, you know. And that's it's like really that stuff's great. Like I mm-hmm. really love that sort of joke, you know. Right. Um, yeah, it's it, it's they're really good, really fun, anarchic comics. Hmm. That sounds. I, I, uh... I highly recommend people in the U.S. who haven't had a chance to, to search them out, and who also like quick gag strips for one of mm-hmm. like you know two three pages at most. Mm-hmm. Um, they're called in in the U.S. They're called the Phoenix Colossal Comics Collections. And I think there's two or three volumes out right now. Hmm. And they're only like like $15 or something. Huh. That's really good to know. Yeah, and I, I highly recommend them. Hmm. Again, that's something else I got at the library when I was getting the, the reinvented comics. I was like, oh, the Phoenix is the Phoenix is good from what little I've seen, I thought. And then I read that and I was like, the Phoenix is actually great. That's this is fabulous. just really good comedy comics. Yeah, I I enjoyed my digital subscription to it for that one year many years ago. Um, yeah, and and I'm I really am just like the, the, this is a great way. Also, like you know, I've got a nine year old. It's mm-hmm. it's really good comics for a nine year old to just like pick up, laugh at for you know ten minutes and then put down and then come back two days later and be like, oh yeah, here's a right. you know here's a a bunny being a jerk. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Yeah, that sounds fabulous. Graham, I think we should probably close up shop. Is it twer? I I think we should close up shop. So I will say that uh, there will be show notes for this podcast up on Wait What Podcast. When you're listening to this, because Jeff is on top of his business, uh, there's a Twitter account at Wait What Podcast. Jeff has a Twitter account at Lazy Bastard at L A Z Y B A S D I D. I have a Twitter account at Graham M I G R A E M E M, and we are a Patreon supported podcast, which means Jeff is about to do some talking right now. Yes. Hey, everyone. You guys are great. Uh, and one thing I will say is that 
Um, thank, I'm shocked because it seems like the sort of thing that Graham would normally do. He and I had an exchange this week where he said, oh, my God, this is prime podcast material. And I said something like, uh, yeah, there's no way that I could ever share this with anyone else. And I'm like, unless we start a Patreon level that's like Jeff's vault of shame. Um, I don't think that we're going to do it. <laughs> but I have to say... I seriously considered it, and it says something about the strange um, machinery that turns the engine that uh, that even in the depths of Graham and I just quickly shooting uh, DMs to one another during what was a pretty crazy shitty week for us both um, was also a thing where we're like, oh, I can't share this, or, or can I? I so- also... Jeff, right now, that you can never give me shit about me saying I've read a comic, it's really good, and you guys will read it in a week or so, because you're literally talking about something you will never tell anyone, which was, admittedly, A, prime podcast material, and B, you would never be able to say publicly. Yes, absolutely. And you know what, Graham? You're wrong. I will give you shit, and I will give you shit in abundance, because... I don't do this very often, and you do that all the fucking time. So, sorry. I'm going to tell everyone what the thing was about. That's super dicky, and not unearned, I have to say. That's probably fair, but yes. Anyway, we've entered the detente era of Wait What is what we're saying, and I'm not really sure that the podcast is better for it, but one thing that we are, it is better for is you the listeners for uh segue. I listen. I don't know if you can hear me applauding, but I am applauding. <laughs> we, we are deeply indebted to you and super indebted to the fine folks at Patreon who in addition to inspiring us with uh comments and emails and notes uh also uh, drop us a little bit of their hard-earned dosh which um makes things so very um worthwhile and uh inspiring um because it allows us to do things like turn around and buy manga in the hopes that we can read it and then position it as a fake manga that graham might go for but so far he's two for two and i have to say i guess i'm okay but the next time it's it's this is jurgen winning great british bake-off two weeks in a row i'm not going to do it a third time I don't know. I don't know. I think I think you're good about because the thing is, Graham, and this of course is precisely why I have to I have to work at this is because you're not you don't listen to what I'm necessarily saying. You're listening to how I'm saying it. You're like, oh, that's that, got that's, that's 100% that's true. Got word gnomes. So it's that classic like I can't. I can't win on the points. I have to learn how to play the meta game. Otherwise, you'll just win every time. There's always going to be something where, you know, it doesn't matter the cards in my hand. You can read my tells. Curse you. And I, anyway, um, yeah, we thank you. I also want to give a big shout out to Emperor Sadri, Queen of the Galaxy, for her continuing support of the podcast and uh, this galactic realm. And um, and yeah, hopefully she'll side with me um, in the inevitable horrific Cold War that blows hot when Graham suddenly spills all my secrets. Graham. 
I, I that's where we're leaving. I feel like that's a cliffhanger. Uh, next week we are we're doing a wait. I sh- need to check. It is next week because I'm, I'm. I think so. Yeah. Whatnots. I am not exaggerating when I say that this last week, honestly, this last two weeks have been so fucking bad for me, and honestly, I think for Chip as well. Mm-hmm. That my sense of time is utterly screwed up. And so I'm looking at the calendar right now. Yes, next week is a drop. After also the week after that, we're doing a wait what? But um, yeah, next week we're going to be talking about Judge Dredd, the Complete Case Files, Volume Twenty Nine. Yeah, Twenty. Yeah, and and I got to be honest, I'm not. I've not even started. So that's something I'm going to be doing this week. (laughs) You and me both. You and me both. At least it wasn't. I, at the risk of perhaps letting fly the DMs of war, I will say that Graham told me in a DM that he thought that there was a point where he was worried that it was a drop. Oh, that was, what was that, Thursday or Friday? Like, it was yeah, a point where I was like, oh, I basically have one night to rejudge <laughs> <laughs> I got to say, I really did. I told you, like, that is give it, that is freaking me out. And it's true. I all but got goosebumps at the at oh, the thought. Yeah, it, it came to me when I did art. not have an opportunity to check like mm-hmm. when the last time we did a drop was. So there was a good half hour of me being like, am I just gonna have to like sit down with the case files and just get through it tonight? <laughs> <laughs> so so good news, Graham, look at it that way. Like you've got yourself yeah, exactly. like, what a week. That, that's yeah. fine. That's mm-hmm. absolutely fine. I was just terrified for for a few hours. Oh, I get it. I get oh, it. Oh, man. Anyway, yeah, drop next week, and then we're back with a regular uh, Wait What the week after. Uh, and also, ideally, question mark, Jeff and I are not going to have weeks that make me at least feel like I have been cursed by witches. So <laughs> we'll be slightly more sane. Oh, Jeff, wait until I tell you. What not? <laughs> I'm not going to burden you with how bad my week is, but I will say this. On Friday, the car got broken into and things of great emotional value were taken. And that oh, was the least interesting thing that happened this week. Shit. That was the least dramatic, emotionally scarring thing that happened this week. Oh, my God. Nuts. Yeah. Uh, oh, Jeff, just wait. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh. Um, yeah. We're going to be back in a week with a Judge Dredd and in two weeks with a regular Wait Wads. Jeff might make up some more manga and see if he can catch me out by... Now that you know that I'm listening to the way you say it, I'm sure there's got to be a way that you could just work that to your favour, Jeff. That's all I'm saying. Now that you've identified your tells, I think I'm going to lose the next one. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. But it's... But it's hard. That's it. I have to... Sort of the same way that I was supposed to throw gnomes in all of these. I'm like, okay... Like, I'll have to flesh all of these out to the same level. And, um, anyway, so, yes. <laughs> I know that one shell. Yes. Bye.